Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, championship week. Where do you want to, you want to start AFC? We can start anywhere you want. These games are very intriguing tactically. I'm, I'm sure you agree. So we can start anywhere you would like. Well, one thing I yeah let's let's go AFC. One thing I appreciate about them is it feels like we have in the four best teams, or certainly four very deserving, well matched teams. It's, these are guys. These are teams that yeah. have been near the front of the standings from start to finish. They're finishing stronger than they started. They match up well. Baltimore's defense, Kansas City's offense. Where do you want to go with that one? Well, let me just make one sort of overview point. Actually, it just hit me as you were saying what you were saying. What I find really interesting in this era of passing games, you know, that's what everybody talks about, and so-called spread the ball, spread offense. We have four teams that play significantly out of what would be considered base personnel. Um, And I think that's really interesting. You know, they do it in different ways. I mean, obviously, Baltimore uses uh, Ricard. Um, The Lions are a heavy 12 personnel offense, relatively speaking. I mean, when I say relatively, I don't mean that 80 percent of their snaps. I mean, but the Chiefs are a really this past week, the Chiefs had almost 60 percent of their snaps out of two or three tight ends. Um, you know, we know about the 49ers and use check. That's the way Kyle Shanahan's been playing for years. So in an era where everybody thinks 11 personnel, get three wide receivers out there, spread the field. We have four teams uh, remaining in, in, in championship weekend that play significant percentages out of base offensive personnel. I find that yeah. pretty interesting in this era. No, that's a great point. And, and even just looking back to last week, and Houston Texans fall in that category as yep. kind of a base team, a little less so, but they play out of 21 a lot. Green Bay out of 12, and they've drafted that way. That's how they want to play. Buffalo, yep. the same thing with Dalton Kincaid. Buffalo leads the league in six offensive line sets as well, which is a form of base, in my opinion. It is. I um, mean, this, they had 21 snaps of, with Edwards, the sixth offensive lineman, this past week. Yeah, I think Tampa Bay started out wanting to be this kind of team. They had to adjust midseason. They're more 11. But even Cleveland in the first round of the playoffs, Pittsburgh can be this. I think you make an excellent point here. Miami Dolphins, another one in the in the first yeah. round of the playoffs. Nine of the 12 playoff teams are what you would call base personnel type of offenses. Yeah, and just to make a quick point, and we'll get we'll jump back to the AFC in a sec, but I was watching the Lions this week. I mean, I watch, you know, obviously we're, we're all watching all the games now, you know, on the coaching tape. Then I was just thinking to myself how, how important Sam Laporta is to their offense, even when he doesn't get the ball because, he, you know, he detaches from the formation. And, and that changes and, and really helps Jared Goff with the pre-snap look. And because ultimately what you're trying to do for your quarterback, and defenses are obviously trying to prevent this with a lot of late rotation, but what you're trying to do for your quarterback is give him as much pre-snap information as possible Uh, And you can do that with your use of personnel and formations. And when you have a tight end like Laporta who can detach from the formation and line up pretty much anywhere, um, you know, it really helps Goff pre-snap and, and I don't, relatively speaking, simplifies things. Nothing is easy for an NFL quarterback, but relatively speaking. Well, let's, you know what We, we, we said AFC, but we didn't actually say anything about those teams. Let's we, you and I take pride in just going where the conversation goes. Okay. On these let's go NFC then, and let's stick with that Detroit offense versus that uh, that that San Francisco defense. And there have been times this season, Greg, that I've I've had the same thought as you. I think that offense probably goes through Amon Ross St. Brown to a large degree, and you could also argue 
formationally, it goes through Sam Laporta. They line up yeah. through Laporta. They play through St. Brown. That's a great point. That's a really good point. And, and I didn't quite get to that point in thinking of it that way, but, but the Laporta part really stood out to me this week. It's probably been building up in me each and every week. And then this week, I really, really noticed it. And I said, wow, you know, he really allows them at a 12 personnel to be so multiple and diverse with what they do. Uh, and then, yeah. of course, as you mentioned, uh, St. Brown, he's really their motion guy, and they're a high-percentage motion team. You know, I think you have a number of the teams left that that use motion a pretty significant amount, um, you know, relative to other teams in the league. And, and St. Brown is a motion guy. Uh, the other thing that a lot of these teams do, which is, you know, and, and again, just as you notice trends when you watch tape, is a lot of reduced splits with yeah. wide receivers. I mean, obviously the Lions do that. We know the 49ers do that. And we'll get to, you know, more specifics in a moment here. Yeah. But, but I mean, that's another thing that really stands out to me. So much of, of reduced splits with these wide receivers. Yeah, and, and just so everyone's clear what we're talking about, wide receivers aligning tight to the formation, like yep. just two yards out in a lot of cases. And these both these offenses in this game do that a great deal. What, let's go through. I mean, let's talk the advantages of that real quick. I know one of it is you can you, you get your receivers involved in the run blocking part of it. Yeah. That's huge for them. I think yeah. another part, tell me what else you let's just kind of spitball our way through this. Why all the all the reasons these teams like these tighter formations? The one that occurs to me is and coaches don't talk about a whole lot, so I don't know how much weight it carries, but these receivers all have a two-way go if they're lining up inside. There's essentially to some degree there's as much field to their left as there is to their right. And I wonder, and if you just multiply that by everyone else, I wonder if that's really liberating for an offensive play designer, assuming these are probably slower developing plays. And that's the other common theme with these teams is that play action and run game are very much foundational. Houston was the same way. The Rams are the same way. These tight formation teams they're going to be balanced. They're going to run the ball. Their pass game is going to tie to their run game, whether they're doing play action or not. Slower developing pass plays tend to come from that. And let's so let's stay with the Lions since we're talking about the NFC. The Lions are a great example of this because they are far and away the, the team that uses play action the most in the NFL and with Goff under center. So now you have it takes longer to get to the mesh point, the point where he, you know, fakes actually puts the ball in the belly of the running back. And, you know, what that does obviously is it holds linebackers, but it also slows down pass rush by defensive linemen. Um, and now you, it also means that you tend to have longer developing routes because it gives your receivers a chance to work more at the intermediate levels. And look at what the Lions do with their pass game, how much Goff throws the ball between the numbers at the intermediate levels. That's foundational to what they do. The other thing it does when you have talking about those reduced or cut splits, as you said, tighter to the formation, is very rarely do you see uh, press coverage in, in that Right. To, to those kinds of formations. So what you have is you have corners that tend to play with width and depth. So your receivers get free access and it's easier for them to create the leverage they they're looking for to run their routes. So you get free access. It doesn't disrupt the timing of your pass game. 
and you have a better feel for your receivers to run their routes. And, you know, that's why you see a team like the Lions, when Goff get, you know, hits that back foot in the pocket off play action, more often than not, he's ready to deliver the football and he has a throw. He doesn't get stuck in the pocket. So, you know, I think it's, it, you know, a lot of these teams are sort of built like that. The Niners obviously want to play the same way with Purdy. They want him to hit his back foot and be able to deliver the football. Yeah, that's it's an excellent point. That's you get that timing and rhythm stuff and some of those yep. throws between the numbers that you know, these guys probably would not make unless they were that comfortable with the timing and rhythm of the design. So much of it's about trust and trusting yes. that the design is going to manipulate the defense accordingly. Now, how does that match up then? Uh, you know, you think San Francisco, a couple things come to mind. One, okay, you want to do the man zone tails, put Laporta out wide. And I wonder if Ben Johnson, by the way, Greg, has other reasons that he does that because there have been games this year for one, he'll do it with Brock right at times. So it's not just yeah. purely a Laporta thing. Um, but there have been games this year where he's done it against defenses that, you know, they're going to be in some kind of zone structure on first and second down. Which right. like San Francisco is kind of one of those defenses. I wonder what would, if there are other reasons that he would, would do those, those motions or those shifts with the tight end before the snap. Um, you know, I think the man zone tells are, and you make a great point because I think the man zone tells are not the same as they used to be. You know, 10 years ago, you could pretty much say, oh, you line up a tight end outside, whoever goes out over him, that tells you what they're doing. Or you put a guy in motion and that's going to tell you if somebody runs with him, it's man. If no one runs with him, it's zone. Though, I think defenses have gotten a lot smarter. I think you would agree that that's, yeah. those things are not automatic anymore. But you still get information because you know from studying, look, we're in the stage now, and you know this working for a team, where it's not just the coaches who are doing work. Teams bring their scouts in. They bring everybody in in the football part of the business to study opponents. So, you know, they have things that, hey, I'm one person. I don't know all those subtleties and details that teams now know. They know – when they when they play San Francisco this week, and let's say they put Laporta out as the single receiver to the to the boundary, let's say they know how San Francisco when they react, whatever way it is that they react, they're going to know what that means. Um, and your point's a good one about the Niners. You know, on first early downs, they're more likely to play zone anyway. They tend to increase their man coverage on third down because Steve Wilkes would ultimately like to play more man. He just doesn't have the, the corners in his nickel to do that because Ambry Thomas is not really a good enough outside corner to play a lot of man coverage against quality wideouts. But I think that ultimately he'd like to play more man. But still, early downs, you pretty much know you're going to get zone. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing, I know Gus Bradley has done this over the years, and he plays a lot of cover three, which yep. he plays more than anyone of it. And that's what San Francisco is going to show a lot, I would imagine, especially with Detroit being as run-oriented as they can be sometimes. Yes. Um, if they do the tight end out wide at like that number one, the widest location, Bradley will just follow a linebacker out to him and play the linebacker play man on the tight end and then just play the zone inside of that matchup. And a big part of the reason, it's not just that, well, they like the matchup, it's that what Bradley understands, it's been told to me so often a route winds up in the flat anyway. And so that linebacker as the flat defender is going to wind up playing that area of the field no after the snap 80% of the time. So Bradley's yeah. thinking, is, let's just put him out in man coverage out there now. 
now they're not getting their man zone tell. But more than that, we're getting our linebacker perfectly positioned to defend the area of the field that the design's likely taking him anyway. And I wonder if that's uh, something the, – I don't think the Niners follow those motions that no, same way, though. No, but I, I don't think they do. Um, yeah, and, and I don't know if they would play around with – I mean, we've seen teams before go into big games and have wrinkles and adjustments. In fact, Detroit, I thought on defense, uh, had one uh, earlier in the playoffs. When we go to that side of the ball, we'll talk about it. But, um, you know, the Niners probably don't have to play that way with the speed that they have in their in their second level. No, and I think getting back to the matchup – I think that what's pretty interesting in this matchup is I would say Fred Warner is as good as there is in the league as a underneath zone coverage defender. Um, you know, and, and so now if they, if it's first down, second down, normal down in distance, and you get the play action pass game from the lions, which you will get, of course, you know, I think Warner with his ability to understand formations, to read route concepts, to, um, play with awareness as an underneath zone defender. I'm not sure there's a better underneath zone defender in the league than Fred Warner as a linebacker. And he's really, really good. Um, Greenlaw's good too, not as good as Warner. And Warner's 6'3 with long arms. So, you know, I think that part of the matchup is kind of intriguing. Yeah, for, for sure, especially against a team that throws between the numbers as much. Detroit led the league in between the numbers passing. They were last and outside the numbers, just talking yep. – uh, the way they play. And they were actually very effective when they did throw outside the numbers, but they're designed to attack inside. I wonder if that means a big game for Jameer Gibbs. One thing that we've seen from teams against the Niners specifically and other defenses that play this way is getting some kind of quick check down over the ball inside because those linebackers, Warner plays deep at times. I mean, he plays really yes. deep at times. I would imagine the challenge with getting the over the ball check down, and maybe it's not Gibbs, maybe it's Amon Ross, St. Brown, and the receivers, because if if you're doing the running back, the Niners run so many stunts and twists that you don't know what the running back's path will be to get out of the backfield because defenders are going to be in different lanes crisscrossing. So I wonder if that's a reason we might see more shallow crosses, sit, sit routes from the wideouts over the ball. Um, these would probably be more in obvious pass situations in first and second you could. Because uh, one of the things the Lions also do extremely well is the high-low concept where yeah. they, they, you know, have the uh, the, low, the low route hold down the linebacker-level player, and then they run the in-breaker behind it. They're really, really good at that. And they're, they're really good at that, obviously, versus zone. It's, it's a zone concept, not a man concept. Um, so, you know, you're going to see that. And they get to it in a lot of different ways. I mean, I can remember earlier in this season um, – I think it was against the Saints. It's funny how stuff pops into your head. They actually had a high-low concept where where St. Brown came from the other side of the field and almost ran what looked like kind of a shallow, but he became the low route on the other side, you know, and, and Demario Davis kind of clamped down on him, and then right behind him um, – Oh, no, yeah, it wasn't yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown. He ended up catching the ball. I think it was Khalif Raymond who ran kind of across the field and held down Demario Davis. And then it was Amon Ross St. Brown who kind of ran the dig behind it. So they get to high-low concepts in really multiple and interesting ways because, uh, you know, they're really good at that. And they're going to get zoned from the Niners. Yes. Yeah, that much I think we can agree on. Are you surprised? One thing that surprises me with Detroit's offense, they don't have – I know Josh Reynolds fits the profile of a vertical receiver. I've never thought he's reliable as a one-on-one -on -one contested catch guy. He's been much no. better lately uh, to, to his credit, but they don't really have a uh, 
a true, pure, consistent vertical element to the offense. And I thought Jamison Williams would fill that a little more for them, that role. Yeah. And it hasn't quite happened, but he can run. I mean, and yeah. you saw that this week when he caught that that out route, you know, uh, um, and, and and I forget who it was against, but he caught the out route and um, uh, it was about 25 yards. So he can run and he does pose a vertical threat. Reynolds is, I wouldn't call him a burner, but he is 6'3", so he's a strider. Um, but uh, yeah, they haven't really taken advantage of that maybe as much as as we might think. But other than St. Brown, I mean, they don't necessarily have a volume wide receiver, but they've got a lot of guys who contribute. Um, and, you know, they're a really interesting offense. And Gibbs, of course, is a factor as a receiver. Um, and he can do multiple things. I mean, he can run those angle routes out of the backfield, you know, Texas routes, whatever you want to call them, option routes, depending on on how the defense responds. Um, but, you know, they're really built on play action and Goff being a pocket player. That That's really how they're built. And as we've discussed before, um, the spacing in their route concepts versus zone, I think is as good as any in the league. So other side of the ball, Detroit, one thing that we saw from them in the playoffs against the Rams, and I imagine that the 49ers will have watched that tape really closely, our motion at when they when they faced motion at the snap defensively, they would spin the coverage and the safety yes. would come and pick up the motion. But what was so interesting, Greg, they played man to man out of that a lot of the time, and they were willing to live with safeties on wide receivers and mismatches on paper, if you want. They have a lot of flexible safeties, guys that have corner experience from college or played the slot yeah. in the NFL. Um, but I, you know. I, I wonder if that's something we would see again against San Francisco, because obviously you have to have a plan for motion at the snap when you're playing the 49ers. Yeah, because the Bucs are not a big motion team, so that didn't really come into play very much. Um, but, yeah, you have to have that plan versus the Niners for sure, because they are going to motion. Um, now, I guess we're speaking on a Wednesday evening, um, so we don't know about Samuel because he's critical. Obviously, we don't need to spend a lot of time. We all know he's critical, both in the run game and the pass game in, in multiple ways. But that doesn't mean they're not going to use motion. Um, I guess what really has stood out to me, Andy, with that defense, and, and I think Aaron Den Glenn does a phenomenal job for this reason. They are so multiple with their front alignments. They have some multi positional type players, you know, in, in the way they deploy them in, in Barnes, in Campbell, um, even the way they move Hutchinson around. Pascal plays DND tackle, depending on the front, depending on down and distance. Um, so they move a lot of people around and they he is using defensive backs so effectively as blitzers. Okay, we see Brian Branch as a slot corner be really effective as a blitzer. Melon Fonwu became a starter week 13. He's been an impact player for them. He's a really good blitzer. You sp and you speak about having corner experience. He was a corner in college, Andy, at Syracuse. So even though he plays safety for them, he was a corner in college. So they probably feel reasonably comfortable with him in certain man-to-man matchups. The issue for them, and you never know when it's going to crop up, is their corner play. You know, they try to camouflage it. But with Cam Sutton and Kendall Vildor, they can be beaten on the outside. Um, so, you know, we'll see how the Niners approach this, but that's that's a problem for them at times. Well, Detroit is, is interesting. Chris Collinsworth made the point in that, that Sunday night broadcast a few weeks ago how philosophically for the organization, 
they committed to being a run-stopping defense. They, they, and in fact, it's funny, a, a coach texted me this morning saying he believes that you want to be great at one when you're starting, especially kind of start, starting something up, which the Lions are not in a startup phase, but they're establishing no. an identity that carries over from last year. He said, you want to be great at one thing and then build from there, figure that out. And Detroit, they chose run defense. And this is the second be, best run defense in the league this year in terms of yards given up. This will be the ultimate test. And there's no better test. And, you know, we'll see how it goes against what I would say is probably the best run offense in the NFL, at least uh, certainly in the NFC. Well, the one thing they do have with Campbell and Anzalone, and you don't see this that much in the NFL anymore, is they've got linebackers who are 245 plus. And you don't see a lot of that in the league, the way the league has sort of evolved. But, you know, Anzalone's 6'3", 245-ish. Campbell's 6'5", 250. I mean, these are big dudes, and they're physical in the run game. Other matchup earlier in the day, then, for the championship Sunday, Kansas City's offense against Baltimore's defense. Let's start there. We'll get to the other side of the ball, of course. But Chiefs offense, Ravens defense, where do you want to start, Greg? Well, I guess one would have to assume that the Chiefs are going to stay with what they've essentially evolved into going back to last year, which is playing out of multiple tight end personnel sets as as a true foundation. Um, So my guess is then you're going to see, you know, the quote unquote big nickel and maybe you'll see some base, you know, uh, but I think you'll see big nickel because of the Kelsey factor. And even Noah Gray is actually a pretty good receiver who can work the intermediate levels of the defense. So I think you'll see them in their quote unquote big nickel where where uh, Hamilton plays and Stone plays and Williams plays three safeties. Although Hamilton is kind of to use the term everybody loves positionless, but he's essentially a safety. Um, I think you'll see that more than you would see base. You know, base meaning kind of a 5-2 front. I bet they will play some of that, depending on down and distance of field location. But I think you'd see more of the big nickel as a, as a personnel response to it. Well, their run defense, another one with a good run defense, and they've been oh. winning in the trenches lately. And I would imagine, because Kansas City, to their credit, they've been a more balanced offense, oh. it feels like, lately. So they're going to want to stop the run. And I, I would imagine Mike McDonald, their defensive coordinator, I'm with you, Greg, I think he would feel comfortable uh, with his chances of his defensive line against Kansas City's. Uh, it's a good. It's a good Chiefs offensive line. Might be minus Joe Tooney, which uh, maybe maybe that. That would hurt them. He's a really good player. Yeah, but I would imagine Baltimore believes they can win in the trenches, which would serve your point as all the more reason than to play big nickel. You don't need that extra thumper on the field. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're really good. I mean, you know, obviously we've talked about Justin Matabuke, who's been phenomenal this year. Pierce is is a really good run defender inside. Um, they have a pretty good rotation on their D-line as well. We know about the linebackers, Queen and Smith. Um, but, you know, you can't talk about this side of the matchup without talking about Isaiah Pacheco because they've clearly become a more balanced offense. There's no question that in the two playoff games, Patrick Mahomes has been the Patrick Mahomes that, we all kind of know, you know, through the years, he's been phenomenal, but this is a little different approach. You know, they run the ball with a little more volume, more production. Um, They're really good with the gap scheme run game because Pacheco, that, that's, that fits them. That's kind of his thing. They, yeah. they, they've done some pin pull. Yeah, I'm not saying they only run gap scheme, but, but he's a guy that you define it and he hits it. And, and then he, he hits it hard and he's angry and he's, he's your classic <laughs> back. Who's, you know, if it's blocked for four, he gets eight. 
And, yeah. you know, those things add up over the course of a game. Oh, he finishes. He is a fin- He's a grown man yep. running the ball. Um, Travis Kelsey, I've heard some people say that he looks like he's slowing down. Have you seen that on film? Um, you know, th- those things are always hard for me, and I'm just being honest. You know, then I watched him this past week, and he looked fine to me in the way he was moving. You know, I'm, I'm not yeah. necessarily studying him in detail on every play, so I don't want to sit here and answer that one way or the other. But I thought, you know, this week they got him involved early. They actually had a very cool play out of the inverted wishbone where he worked through the line of scrimmage off off a pistol play action look, and they got him matched on the linebacker, A.J. Klein. Obviously, Smith and and um, and Queen are far better than A.J. Klein, who you know, came off the street a couple of weeks ago, uh, and that's not his game anyway, having to cover tight ends. But, you know, he mo- I thought he moved pretty well this week. Yeah, and his game's never been predicated on running away from people. No. Necessarily. He's not – he's never been a fast guy. He's a – He's he's a nebulous, weird, sinewy mover that can really. Yeah, he's a deceptive. Deceptive is the word I'm looking for. Like he's not as straight line and fast as let's say George Kittle. No, no, he's yeah. Kelsey is a uniquely deceptive mover, both pre and post catch, and those are those that'll leave him at some point as well. At some point, you're going to lose your your balance, your elite balance. But right, but that's not the whole idea. Is he's slowing down or not? I've just I've heard it a few times. And it surprised me that it's been a conversation every time. And we've seen a lot of tight ends, Greg. Tony Gonzalez was never a fast guy. We've seen guys no. play well into their late 30s. Jason Witten. Tight ends. Witten. Jason Witten. That, yeah. And so, no, I, I'm with you on that. And I imagine if you're Baltimore, Kelsey's still your starting point, having a plan for him. How do you think yes. you coach it then? If you're Mike McDonald, what's – how do you handle these guys late in the down? Because you have to assume Mahomes is extending the play and Kelsey's yeah. going to be his first option when he extends a play. How do you coach against that then? That is – hey, by the way, I'm certainly not smart enough to have a definitive answer to that. Just like you, I've talked to many coaches who talk about players like Mahomes, like Lamar. Josh Allen falls into that category as well to some extent. But certainly Mahomes, who's the best in the league at it, you you almost have to have two defenses. You know, you have to have a defense for the first two, 2.4 seconds of a play, and then what happens afterwards. And that part is the really hard part. Um, you know, you know, because no defense, no zone defense is geared for anything beyond five-step drop timing. Because after five-step drop timing, which is 2.1 seconds, every zone, the voids just show up. Um, and obviously, if you're playing man, it's really hard to stay with a man for four or five seconds. So no defense is really equipped to handle that. So then you get into what do you want to do with your rush? Is there a way to kind of keep Mahomes relatively contained? I mean, we know from experience that he's not going to be contained to the point where he never gets out of the pocket. That's not going to happen. But, you know, that that to me is the big challenge. I mean, last week we saw him hit that big play to Valdez Scantling on the uh, go-ahead touchdown drive late in the third quarter for 32 yards, I believe it was, where I I thought Buffalo actually made a mistake with their pressures, but they had the two linebackers basically coming in the same spot. And Mahomes just, you know, he's so good at kind of, you know, recreating a new pocket and and making throws. And that's really hard to defend. Yeah, and 
knowing McDonald, I don't think he will be comfortable with any pressures that run the risk of the pocket breaking down. I think he's going to start with pocket integrity in mind and figure out a way. He'll still bring some pressure here and there, but I would imagine he's going to want to keep eyes on Mahomes and contain Mahomes. I would agree. Yeah. Now, he does have speed on defense. I mean, he's probably going to feel pretty comfortable with Queen and Smith being, you know, as long as they're in good position, you know, if it's zone type stuff and they do have eyes on on uh, Mahomes, he probably would feel, I would think, pretty comfortable with their ability to run him down as long as they don't get caught out of position. You know, that's what happens a lot. I mean, he Mahomes had that long run last week of, what was it, 28 yards? And it was a really cool concept because they went four strong with the routes to one side of the formation, four receivers to one side, and the defense, even though it was zone, clearly had a shift as the play started. Everybody over to the four receiver side because you can't play normal zone and deal with four receivers to one side of your zone. You don't have enough bodies. And Mahomes, because he's so savvy and so intelligent, he saw it immediately and he saw all the open space to the other side. And he just took off and ran, I think it was 28 yards, give or take, you know. So, Obviously, the Chiefs know this as well, so they're going to try to play with you on defense just like McDonald will try to play with Mahomes to some degree. Yeah. Um, You want to do predictions or do you want to hop to some of these offseason? Well, we didn't really talk about the Chiefs, D versus uh, Lamar. Excellent point. My, My fault. Lamar, the MVP. But I thought he was unbelievable against Houston, by the way. Just, yeah, I, I thought he was too. How you quickly know. and and I got to tell me what you thought. I thought I got the sense D'Amico Ryan's came into the game, kind of planning to play what they'd done, what what had gotten them there, and realized on those first two or three drives, these guys look comfortable. I'm going to have to change something up here, and he started yeah. bringing the pressure. Single then he just high started pressure. going a little blitz crazy, and and Lamar I thought handled everything superbly. I agree. I think Lamar is a classic case of a guy that the numbers don't matter for passing, you know, because he's not going to be in most cases, you know, 30 for 40 for 380 yards. That's not the game that he plays and that they play, you know, uh, he's going to scramble. He, uh, this game was so interesting to me because in the first half, once it became evident that they were going to blitz a lot and play mostly zone behind it, you know, so it was zone pressures. Um, he saw places to run and he ran, he scrambled in the second half as the game. And again, I think it was 10, 10 at the half, but they scored on their first touchdowns on their first three possessions in the second half. But as they started to sort of figure out how to take control of the game uh, and, and sort of stymie all that pressure, they, he became a runner more by design. And I thought that was really good coaching and he became a huge factor in the game. I think he had a hundred yards rushing, if I'm not mistaken. And so again, you know, you're not going to look at his numbers and go, Oh my God, he didn't have a great game. He only threw 180 yards. The numbers with him to me are not necessarily relevant. It's how the game maps out. Yeah. And plus his scramble yards really should be counting as passing yards anyway. Yeah. it's a technicality that he didn't happen to throw the ball one or more inches in front of him on those plays. Right. Those, those jet passes on the jet sweeps are counted as passes, and the scrambles are counted as rushing yards. And I don't know why in the world the league hasn't gotten that fixed at this point. But um, Spagnolo's defense, very different than D'Amico Ryan's. At least yes. You can expect the pressure. You're going to get more too high shells, although the Texans play a lot of too high. They played a lot of single high against Baltimore, though. Two high looks, pressures from the edges, defensive backs blitzing, especially. 
and I would imagine we'll see a good deal of that because I know there are coaches out there that feel like those slot blitzes that they do with, in the Kansas City's case, it's with McDuffie, who's become about as good as Brian Branch at it, some of these really good Yeah, young yeah, coaches. yeah, that's another, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's a good way to also defend some of the, the gap scheme or the read option, some of the multi-option plays that you get from a defense. Those Those edge blitzes can really contort those offensively. I would imagine we'll see that on early downs. Yeah, that, that's one one of the things I've been thinking a lot about. Now, obviously, we don't know the answer because, you know, Spags is not going to tell us in advance. But I, I, one of the things I've been thinking about is how much they're going to pressure and what kind of pressure. Because this is not to me. I mean, and by the way, Spags is aggressive. You know, you will see some zero depending on the, the, the field location and the down and distance. He will do that for sure. But overall... Yeah. I've been trying to figure out in my mind how I see this from a pressure perspective because he's not going to play soft. He's not going to play reactively. He will at times, but I don't think that's going to be the overall approach. I don't think when they started game planning, they said, you know what, let's just sit back. I don't think that's going to be the approach. So the question is, what are the pressure concepts? Because we know that you can't just let Lamar get clean through because he's he's the best when he's running with the ball. There's no one better than he is running with the football so, you know, it'll be interesting how they decide to do that. Um, Bolton, I think, is a really important player in this. Um, I think Willie Gay is due to play, and he might be a really important player because he's got great speed. Now, again, no one's Lamar, but Gay does have great speed for a linebacker. You know, the, the, look, Kansas City, he, as much as we start, we start with their offense. Kelsey's the guy. Mahomes are great. You know, their defense is the reason they're here. They, they've become yeah. – their defense has been the best part of that team this season – and really at, at all three levels. They played at a high level uh, up front linebackers like you just highlighted. And even doesn't it feel like they also have a lot of corners that are late draft picks that play really well for them down the stretch? Well, Watson and Williams, yeah. I mean, Snead wasn't a high draft choice. No, and I thought Snead deserved all pro consideration this season. But I guess Deron Bland beat him out somehow. So um, I, got, I have a question, which he shouldn't have, by the way. But yeah. So here's my question to you, unrelated to these games, but looking back. What was your take on the uh, Bills' offensive approach versus the Chiefs? You know, I need to, I would need to go through. I mean, they, they had a ton of snaps. I know that. And I have a feeling that seven you, snaps. Yeah. And, and can, well, you don't see Kansas City won the game with 50 snaps, basically. And it was, 47 it was like, snaps. They averaged almost eight yards a play, uh, which was remarkable. They only had 47 snaps in the game. Yeah. Well, I have a feeling you've got a strong opinion on both, well, at least a thought on it. You know, the, here's what I don't know. And this is why I'm always leery. You know, I know everybody on social media, you know, has an opinion and they, they everybody thinks they know. This is things we don't know. We don't know if the, their their offense was built to help their defense because they had so many injuries on defense, okay? And they probably felt going into the game that it would be a tough go. If, if the Chiefs ran 70 or 75 plays, my guess is Sean McDermott and staff probably knew deep down that that, that would not be a good thing. I mean, they were playing with A.J. Klein and Terrell Dotson, a linebacker. I mean – Say what you want about both guys, and Klein's been in the league forever, and Dotson will probably be another one of those guys that plays for a long time. But they're not athletic linebackers. You know, they're they're basically box players. They can't really yeah. play in the pass game. Yeah, but they had to play. You know, they were stuck, and they and Bedford was out, so they were down down a corner, and you know, so they were missing a lot of players. Um, so what we don't know is if they built their offense to protect their defense because clearly 
they did not attack with the pass game hardly at all. And when I say attack, I don't mean throwing an occasional deep ball. They threw an occasional deep ball. I'm talking about running route concepts to attack two-shell coverage. Because when people say, oh, well, they're playing too deep, you can't throw it. You and I both know that's garbage. Of course you can throw it against two-shell coverage. It's done all the time. Um, but they didn't do it. So I don't have an answer. It was, I just found it really interesting that this was the approach they took. They really did not throw the football. You know, I think Josh Allen had 10 or 12 throws behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, no, his longest completion was 15 yards in the game. That was his longest. Their, their longest play was 18 yards. Yeah, yeah, it was a Josh Allen scramble. Was it? It was Scramble, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't have an answer. I just found it, you know, interesting. Yeah, well, they, that's they one that. of those situations where I would love to have been in the room when they came up with their plan and, and understand, you know, the reasoning why, the process. You know, that's what I love about this is what's the process, what's the reasoning, and I don't know the answer to that. You know, they did it in the, in the second half of the of the wild card game against Pittsburgh as well. In the first half of the game, they kind of played there. I'm looking at the numbers now. Yeah, they had 21 pass attempts in the first half of the game, close to 25 dropbacks it looks like. And that's against Pittsburgh now. In the second half of the game, they came out and they ran the ball out of heavy personnel. They had like a fraction of the number of dropbacks. And right, I was wondering right. watching the film why the uh, – why the because the first half approach worked relatively well. I mean, they were playing their game. And that Pittsburgh game was closer than it seemed. It wasn't like they were protecting a huge lead. I mean, it, it was – that was no. a contest. And, and look, you, I guess in some ways you can't argue with, the, with what happened in this – pass game you know look you know people act like well I knew the Chiefs were going to win as if the Chiefs beat them by 40 points you know I mean you necessarily can't argue with the game the way it played out uh you know and it's always easy to say well if this happened this happened you know but I mean Tyler Bass did miss a very makeable field goal and then who knows what would have happened so you could argue that the game did play out given their their lack of personnel on defense it kind of played out the way they probably hoped it would play out. Yeah, no, they were in position. I, had a, I went to dinner with a family member right after the game, and it's. In, uh, I love the guy. He's not a. He's a fan. You know, he watches football when right, the playoffs right. come around. That's what he does. And he, he made the. He, his point was, well, they should have run the ball to get closer on the field goal attempt. You know, <laughs> it's a low forties attempt, and they're trying to win. Remember, they were trying to win too. They weren't. They weren't trying to play for the tie at that. No, point. They were trying to. When they were I mean, in, it, they were positioned on that second down a play. Down. If, if uh, Jones didn't drive Dawkins back into uh, uh, Josh's lap, that would have been a touchdown to Shakir. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, predictions on the games, or do you want to just uh, move along? Uh, I mean, we can have some fun with it if you want. I mean, I'm gonna go. These games are hard. I think. Don't you think these games are hard? Uh, but yes, yeah, you get to this point in the season. There are four good teams. At you know, any one of these four teams is a worthy. Super Bowl yeah. contender without question. I mean, I this is total gut, okay? You know, I just have a feeling the Chiefs are, are going to win. I mean, I, I know Baltimore's viewed as probably the more complete overall team in the kind of year they've had, but there's just something about the Chiefs and Mahomes in these games. I, I don't know. I'm just – I'll pick the Chiefs. Well, and I'll say – and I mean this completely respectfully to Baltimore because they, they are – on paper, they are historically having one of the great seasons we've seen. And I love are, the way they play. I really love the way they're coached and the way they play. Do you feel like 
I mean, they've won, I think it's, they faced nine winning teams and have beaten them by 14 plus points or something. It's something I know. unbelievable. It's like college football stuff. Have you felt watching them like in 07 when the Patriots were, and the Patriots are doing bigger things, but we knew we were watching something amazing. The the, the Denver Broncos and, and, and the early Manning years, we knew they were putting up huge numbers, dominant offense, great team. I don't feel like watching the Ravens, like I've, I've been watching, like this team is all time great dominant both sides of the ball but that but that's what the the data shows that they have yeah no i would agree but then i think back to the fact that they beat detroit by 30 plus they beat seattle by 30 plus i mean you know they've had these victories where they were just incredibly dominant and but i agree with you you don't look at like like if you look back at some of the teams that were quote-unquote dominant you know you go back 15 20 whatever the number of years you want to go back i don't think you think of the Ravens like that, but sometimes they win. Like that. I mean, I thought yeah. the Niners game was closer than the score, by the way, and it'd be interesting to see if that ends up being the Super Bowl. But obviously, I just picked the Chiefs. But you know, you know how it is when you pick these games. It's like I said, it's pure gut. Um, on the other side, I mean, I think that's a tough game. I mean, you know, I really like the Lions' offense. Um, I would probably pick the Niners, you know, but. So let's let's say Niners. But I, I again, would that one. It's whoever scores first is the one I'd feel good about. Like those are those are teams built. Not that they can't come from behind. I'm not going to add to the Kyle Shanahan fourth quarter thing. I get that. right, 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 I mean, right. Some right. of that stuff. I went. I actually did go look at everybody's records in fourth quarter, trailing by eight and everything like that. There are some really good. Believe it or not, great teams don't win a whole lot when they're down eight points in the fourth quarter. It's not like it's not like it's is some gaping hole in the hall. Right. It's not like Kyle Shanahan's the only coach in the league that doesn't win when they're down eight points in the fourth quarter. The the win percentage is unbelievably low across the NFL. Yeah. Way well, low. you know how that goes. I mean, yeah. people see that stat, and of course they put it up in every game. If they're behind, they're not behind in that many games. They've been very good. Um, but they put it up and and it's talked about as if, aha. They're the only team that's like that in the league. Yeah, and, and people yeah. are looking for a way to, to tear down Shanahan because he's such a cutting-edge guy offensively. I think he's kind of the guy people want to target sometimes. Yeah. So who um, do you have in this uh, game, Andy? I would game? say San Francisco. I, I, I think San Francisco can win in more ways than Detroit can win. So I'd go with that one. And with your Kansas City-Baltimore thing, I kind of have the same sense as you. It's like – Kansas City is not the team I want. I, I want to face in, at any point in the in the right. season. Like, and I know this now. I mean, we've and it's my fault. I asked you for the predictions. Our analysis has gone off the rails. We've both said absolutely nothing in the last two minutes. But I guess I'm going <laughs> to go. What did I say? Niners and Chiefs is what I said. So I guess I'll. Do I think that that's one. what I said too. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, bulletin board material then for those uh, those other teams. Uh, r- real quick, Greg, off season stuff. Jim Harbaugh just took the Chargers job. You said we're doing this on. He did. He that's did official. Yep. yep, that's official. So Wednesday night we recorded this. Our producer Ben Allen texted that. How do you? We, you've thought of it for all of three seconds now. How do we think that's gonna? How do we think that's gonna play out for Los Angeles? Well, I think the team, the offense is going to look different. I mean, because obviously he believes in being physical, running the ball. I mean, you know. It's not college football. You can just go out now and recruit a few players to fit your scheme. But I think that he's going to try to transition that team into what ultimately he wants it to be. And it's going to be, I think, different than they have been. And I think that's a way that Justin Herbert would be comfortable playing. Like these offenses, I agree. We've talked about today. 
Like if he were in Detroit's offense, for example, I think he would be perfectly comfortable in that perfectly. I think he's suited for anything, but I think he wants, I think, I just think he'd fit really well in that. And I imagine that's what Harbaugh will do. What's interesting, Greg, I know you've met him. I know you know him a little bit. I've never met him. I don't know what his core philosophies are necessarily because he, he wasn't a play cause. It was Greg Roman's offense in the San Francisco time. Right, right. Vic Fangio was a defensive guy, so Fangio's out there. You might want to, you know, at this at the time of this recording, the, the the team in your town, Greg, might want to move a little quickly on that now that Harbaugh's available and Fangio's available. But I don't like if if you told me, you know, what does a Jim Harbaugh team look like? It's attitude, toughness, all that stuff, which matters a lot. I don't know if I could guess their playbook, though. Well, again, we don't know for sure, but I think the run game would be a factor. You know, again. What that means, that's always hard to say, Andy, but I think that he wants to run the ball and and establish a physical presence. I don't, you know, that doesn't mean he's just going to, you know, think play like it's 1960. You know, it's not like he's going to be Vince Lombardi's Packers, but I think that he would want to run the ball. I think the way the Chargers have kind of played in the past couple of years would not be the way he ultimately wants to play. Well, and, and maybe that's a factor too as, as far as, why he's here because one thing and i know we're not big on the you're not big on the salary cap stuff but they're 45 plus or minus million over the cap right now so if there was a time to reset the roster if you will you know this they they might view this season as an appropriate time for that i bet they will Uh, because don't forget he had to come in with a plan he didn't just show up and they said okay we'll hire you i'm sure he has a plan uh, you know, in saying, hey, here's how I want to go about turning this around, making this team a contender for the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying that this season, you know, they're going to throw away. Contrary to what people believe, there's not one single coach that ever thinks I want to lose on Sunday. That that just does not exist. Um, yeah. But, you know, they, they may know that they have to win, try to win a certain way this year until they can get it exactly the way Jim Harbaugh wants it. Yeah, well, and look, the other side of that, too, they very well might be also saying, look, he's here because we felt we had a uh, certainly a championship caliber team, a playoff successful caliber roster. We did not get that the last few years. We're bringing in a proven coach with our quarterback right, right now. Chargers, I'm looking at their 2025 cap space. They've got a ton of it. So they could probably restructure some of their deals and roll with the roster they have as well. I mean, they could go either direction. And I imagine knowing – you know, when you make a hire like Jim Harbaugh, I imagine it's going to be very distinctly in one direction or the other. Either they're going to go Correct. for this season or they're going to reset the roster. Which, you know, I know, I know I know I'm picking both sides of the fence, but what I'm saying is they're not going to be on that fence. It's going to be one side or the other. No, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. He's he's going to take it in the way he wants it to go. And maybe there'll be some growing pains, but he's not going to try to play both sides of it. 33rd team did something on some of these uh, these these free agent quarterbacks coming up, and an interesting class of them, Greg. Um, I'll I'll read them off to you here in a second. But the, the guy that is headlining it, boy, he's made a lot of money being willing to get in this position every few years. Kirk Cousins once again, Kirk Cousins sweepstakes every few years. We talk about him like like he's a sh- uh, surefire first ballot Hall of Famer because quarterbacks just don't hit the open market the way he does. No, so, he, you know what. He's had one hell of a career, Andy. You can say what you want about him. I know, you know, a lot of people have different views on him, but every year, you know, and again, not not that numbers are the be all and end all, but he 
he produces every single year. We know what kind of player he is. You know, there's no, we don't have to figure out what Kirk Cousins is. He's not going to be different, but you know, he's a pocket player. He moves a little bit, but he's not really a secondary action, you know, playmaker, but he's really good from the pocket. He sees things really well. He's really good before the snap of the ball. Um, He's an accurate passer. You know, he's just a really solid NFL quarterback. I would think Minnesota would want him back. So do I. And, and I and I would think if I'm Cousins, I also think that's not a bad fit for me. I've been in that system before. I've been in the last few years. That that to me is not a bad quarterback franchise marriage, if you will. No, and they've got players. They've got skill guys. They've got Jefferson. They've got Addison. They've got Osborne. Now Hawkinson will come back, I'm sure. Um, they, they they've got good players. They've got a pretty good old line. I mean, they, there's not going to be a a lot of better situations than that. The other guy that's interesting is Baker Mayfield for Tampa Bay. Talk about a good fit. I can't imagine that either side of that wouldn't want to renew that relationship with, with him. And I mean, and I thought Dave Canales, Greg, did such a tremendous job of understanding what Mayfield is and what really what's around him, which they, they right. have holes on that offense. And I thought they adjusted around it exceptionally well in Mayfield rose to the occasion i would think he'd want to be back and i would think they'd want him back and i agree because you know the the other issue is people can sit here and say well you're not going to win a super bowl with baker you know you hear that a lot about quarterbacks obviously you know not everybody wins a super bowl but the but the other part of that the flip side is okay then who's your quarterback so let's say you just you know baker mayfield's not in tampa next year who's your quarterback yeah. You know, they don't just fall out of the sky. Baker Mayfield can line up and play. And I think they had, as you said, you know, with Canales, they got a good sense of what he is and how he can play and what how he's most comfortable and most effective. And, you know, there's no reason not to bring him back. Um, the big question will be Mike Evans because he's a free agent. Do you feel like is Evans a Hall of Famer to you? I would say numbers-wise, he is. Um, do I feel like watching him that he is? I think that's a tougher question. I, you know, I don't want to say no, but I don't automatically say yes. I feel like Mike Evans has been a really, really good receiver for a long time, and that's Mike Evans. Nothing, nothing more. Nothing. I don't know if I've ever felt like he is a truly great. Right. Top tier first ballot number one type wide receiver, to be honest. With and you. I think a lot of people feel that way. The numbers will suggest otherwise, because depending on how he finishes his career, but he's had 10 seasons in the league, 10 seasons with the thousand yards and scored a lot of touchdowns, a high number of touchdowns. So the numbers suggest it. But I think ultimately you 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 said it better than I did. But I agree with exactly the way you phrased it. And your whole, uh, you know, can you win a Super Bowl, Baker Mayfield, two other quarterbacks that people would say that about if we're just following that train of thought would probably be Brock Purdy and Jared Goff. Somebody's going to have a very good chance to win a Super Bowl this year with that type of quarterback. Correct. Uh, another Absolutely. guy, real quick, let's go through Ryan Tannehill, starter, not a starter. I don't think at this point in his career you would sign him to be your starter. You feel good about him as your backup, though. Very good about him. I I, he can play if you need him to, but I don't think you'd sign him to say, we're going into the season with Ryan Tannehill as my starter. 
I imagine we're going to feel the same way. I'm going to list off a couple of a few other guys. Gardner Minshew, who did let's, just, let's do Minshew real quick. Is he played a good? I mean, played a lot this played season. Played all year. He yeah, essentially I mean, I played you all year a few years ago. You liked him a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think you can play with Minshew. Just, I mean, a lot of these guys you can play with. Um, again, a guy you can line up and play with, but I don't think you want to say that you'd be signing him to be your starting quarterback. You know without competition from, from day one. I don't think anybody will see him that way. Yeah. And, and the other guys on our list here in 3013, I think they fall in the same category. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sam Darnold, Jacoby Brissett, Jameis Winston. Uh, and they got Huntley and Tyrod Taylor down there, kind of more of the mobile quarterbacks. The most so, fascinating guy to me in that whole bunch, and, and maybe his time has passed because all of a sudden he's been in the league a long time, was Jameis Winston. Why? What, what I, fascinates you about I thought Winston had real talent. I mean, he was the number one pick in the draft. Um, the year that he tore his ACL, where he started the first seven or eight games, he actually played well for New Orleans. Um, and then, obviously, it, and nothing's happened since. Uh, and, again, I know he had the year where he threw 30-plus interceptions. And I'm not sitting here saying that if he played, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I think Jameis Winston had the talent to be a starting quarterback in this league. At what level? There's so many variables, Andy, that dictate that, as you know. You know, I'm not sitting here suggesting he'd be Patrick Mahomes, but I think that he could have been a starting quarterback in this league and and, and played well. I would agree with that. I thought there were times he, you know, he was such a high-risk, high-reward type of player, and I thought there were times that that suited him, that 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 his, that style of play yep. suited him. Well, he's a, I respect Jameis Winston as a quarterback. When he drops back, he's a yeah. quarterback to respect. And I'll say this, too. I would guarantee you, Greg, there are teams that will not have anything to do with him after what he did at the end of the Week 18 game against against Atlanta and with the position he put Dennis Allen in. And you could well be right. Yeah, that, that's a different situation. But in some ways, I think he got a broad deal with his career. But again, who knows? You know, maybe he's done. Maybe it's all over for him. Well, I mean, look, if he's your backup quarterback, just we're talking purely football, I feel I feel confident and comfortable with my backup quarterback situation. I would agree. Yeah. All right, my man. Good. Greg, I appreciate you. Appreciate everyone listening. This is the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, Greg Cosell. Hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next week. 